be inspired to love life, to achieve extraordinary feats, and to change the world around you for the better. Welcome to Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott. Glenn Albrecht is an environmental philosopher with both theoretical and applied interests in the relationship between ecosystem and human health. He's pioneered the research domain of psychotoratic or earth-related mental health conditions with the concept of solastalgia or the lived experience of negative environmental change. He also has publications in the field of animal ethics, including the ethics of relocating endangered species in the face of climate change pressures. Here we welcome Glenn Albrecht back to the podcast to talk about psychoterratic experiences, the positive and negative experiences we have that directly relate to the state of the environment. Welcome back, Glenn. It's lovely to see you again. And we got up to story number two last week, and it was wonderful to talk to you about entering your Simbo scene and the Hunter Valley and coming here and experiencing solastasia. Yeah, well, it's lovely to be back, and I can continue the solastalgia story because Newcastle and the Hunter played a really important part in the evolution of that concept, as I explained. And so today what I think I'm going to do is take you away from solastalgia and indicate what I call these psychotoratic experiences. They're both the positive and negative experiences that we have that directly relate to the state of the environment. So solastalgia is connected to a deteriorating environment like mining or climate change. Yes. But there are many uh, amazing experiences that humans have that are positive uh, with respect to the state of the earth and their own psychological states. That's why we go to the beach, we stroll along the, the shore. We, and this we, is how we love our life. Yes, this is, uh, we go to forests because they give us these really rich experiences where the complexity and beauty of the, the earth and its biodiversity is reflected or felt within us as complex feelings and, and certainly feelings that we we find uh, enlivening. They fine-tune our mental health. We, we, we feel as if we're bathing in forests. They give us not just oxygen, but they give us a, a really good feeling. And so when, when I went to Perth, I got the job of Professor of Sustainability at Murdoch University in 2008, and then I went to Perth in early 2009 to start that job. I decided I wouldn't continue my research on solastalgia and the negative side of these emotional experiences that we have, and that I would deliberately focus on the good things that Western Australia had still had to offer. Why did you decide that? Can you tell us that? Well, I think I'd had enough of the negative. I decided that uh, you know you can only live for so much of the distress, the grief, the the the, the desolation, the depression of what happens to people when their life, their their quality of life, their sense of place, their identity has been not just challenged but seriously eroded by forces that they have no control over. And so I did plenty of work in the in the Hunter with my colleagues uh, Nick Higginbotham and Linda Connor at Newcastle Uni and we had uh, Australian Research Council grants to continue that research. We were doing research on climate change as well and the impact that climate change has the negative impacts that bad climate change has on people so when i went to murdoch i thought well 
I do have a track record as an academic and researcher in that area, but I needed a a, a mental shift. For for yourself? For myself, Mm -hmm. and also I thought it was important uh, academically to, it's not a question of balance, but it, it was more academic intrigue. If we've got all these negative feelings, we can only have them if we also have within us these positive states that Something are being violated. Compare. Yeah. And so, well, what are they? And so when I went to Perth, there were two reasons. One was to take up this job and the other one was to look after my mother, who was uh, beginning to to fail in her old age. She was in her late 70s. She was a tuberculosis survivor from her teens. She only had one lung. And the Jill and I, my, my wife and I, decided that this job and looking after Thelma, my mum, was probably the most important change that we could make at that stage. And so Jill stayed in Newcastle. I went to Perth and we commuted, we you know, telephoned, we, we kept in wow. contact with each other for five years. Five while, years. Yeah, while this That's took a place. long distance marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, we pioneered one of those. Yeah. And uh, so what happened was that for a year I just was uh, living in a unit close to my mum's place. And then she started falling over and having other problems. So we decided to buy a house in Jaredale in the Perth Hills and asked mum if she would come and live in that house and I would look after her and be her primary carer. So she, she reluctantly agreed because she, she obviously knew that she couldn't be by herself any longer. She definitely didn't want to go into a nursing home. So she said, yes, you know, pack me up, get all my stuff. Uh, the house that we bought in Jaredale was in the middle of the village of Jaredale. It had bush around us. It had kangaroo paws and native orchids in the garden. It had uh, eastern, uh, eastern, western grey kangaroos. <laughs> I, I forget they would what, have hopped a long way yeah, I get, <laughs> to I for, get over there. But they look the same, but I forget what side of Australia yes. I'm on sometimes. Anyway, this uh, we called this house Birdland because it was just full of uh, bush, beautiful bush, beautiful plants, butterflies, birds. And so we got mum set up in a little table where she could do her crossword puzzles and her jigsaws and have a little gin and tonic at, when she felt like it. 5pm. We organised uh, nursing care to come and look after her when that was needed. And I just did my job at Murdoch. But Jarrada was uh, was important because the Jarrah tree is one of the endemic uh, hardwood tall trees of the southwest forest uh, that's where my mum was born she was born in Manjimut which is a famous milling area for the carry and Jarrah trees and Jarradale for whatever reason it's, it's a quirk of geology rainfall it it's a dead ringer for Manjimut in many respects however Manjimut's another 250 kilometers further south you have to go you know, on a long drive if you want to get back into that part of the world. Have you got a story to tell? We'd love to hear it. Connect with Love Your Life, Tell Your Story now on Facebook and Instagram. So Jarradale turned out to be a mini manjimup and my mum, from the very first day she settled in that house, was very, very happy and very content. And I realised too that this was a perfect place for me to start thinking about these positive earth relationships and I had many conversations with my mum about you know well what do we actually feel when we see the parrots come in and the the wallabies and kangaroos move through the garden 
there's all sorts of things that you know like the uh, the ground orchids come up in spring well to have them come up the native ones come up in your own garden is super special because usually they're they're the first things that go when places are bulldozed. For and you connected back with your boyhood home as well. Exactly. So Jaradale was some like a, a place between Perth as an environment and Manjimup as an environment. It was perfect for my mum. It meant I had to do a you know effectively a one hour commute from Jaradale to Murdoch University and back. But I did that without any trouble. I had a nice hybrid Honda that was a pleasure to drive and very economical. And so this settling in, in Jaradale enabled me to start thinking about what makes for a positive relationship to your home environment. And I also started a research project on the Margaret River area. Now, a lot of my friends you know, make fun of my wanting to research Margaret River. So, oh, yeah. You know, it's like going down for food, wine, art. It's famous for its surfing beaches. It's it's a beautiful part of Western Australia. Um, some some wine experts have said that it's probably one of the best wine producing areas in the whole world. My research project was to begin to interview people down there about what holds Margaret River together, and they were being opposed. You know, they were being challenged by a, an underground coal mine that was being. Uh, you know put up for development and the whole town really came together in solidarity and fought the the coal mining proposal and I was there at a time when I was able to interview people about well what is it that holds you all together and I created this concept of solophilia which is the love of working together to save places that are under threat or under stress it's really to acknowledge that community action is a form of politics which protects those things that you highly value so brand margaret river was a highly valued entity everybody was connected to everyone else if one one of the areas like winemaking failed then just about everything else would fail if the art galleries failed then the tourists would come into the town and there'd be nothing for them the foodies are connected to the winos, you know. Mm, all all together, everybody's in uh, yeah, the brand together. Exactly. So I, I figured that this is what the world was like until we started to really tear things apart with uh, privatisation of land, you know, uh, busting up the commons, putting people in little boxes and slots, even in tiny little rooms where they work, uh, you know, with in virtual isolation from all other humans. So that started my thinking about, well, what do we need to counter the Anthropocene, which I, I, I spoke about in our previous talks, mm-hmm. the, this era of human dominance, which actually destroys not only the, the integrity of the natural world that we depend on to, to live, uh, but it also destroys our mental integrity. It, it, it attacks the fundamentals of what it means to be a human, and indeed what it means to be a human animal. You know, we, we have a connection to nature and the earth, which is really no different than any other wild creature. And by wild, I don't mean, uh, you know, uh, something the opposite of tamed. I mean uh, a creature that has evolved on this earth subject to the climate, the soils, what's called the phenology, the patterns and rhythms of nature. I thought this is a really good research project to get into. And so I combined doing that with looking after my mum and making sure that our contacts with family were were good. Uh, uh, it's good that uh, 
were out of Perth because a lot of mum's relatives felt more comfortable visiting her at Jarradale than they were driving into Perth. You know, it's like country people just don't like... Didn't have to go to the city. Don't like parking, yeah, parking, like, you know, <laughs> parking metres or traffic lights. So, uh, you know, it was just an amazing place for her to ha- have time for the last five years of her life. And wonderful for you to connect with yeah. her during that time. Well, I'd been away from Perth for, oh, you know, decades. And, mm. and you know, of course, we went back to, to see her. But uh, my only sibling, my, my brother, he and his family had moved to Melbourne. So she was literally there by herself. She was also a, a, a gifted amateur botanist and used to volunteer in Kings Park as a guide. And she did that for 20 years, but she felt when I finally turned up uh, to do the Murdoch job and to, to care for her, she said, I can't drive anymore, I can't, do, I can't go in and do this volunteering any longer. So she recognised that she'd reached a point in her life that was a tipping point. So complexity theorist Albrecht said, well, OK, well, we'll bring nature to you. And that's where the, the house at Jarrodale was so So it sounds important. like a very special time between mother and son yeah, I mean, we we had not lived together for a very long time. Yes. <laughs> so as, uh, you know, much older son comes back and I'd tuck her up in bed and give her a kiss goodnight every night for that five years until yeah. until she got uh, very ill with a, a virus and it knocked her off rather rapidly. And I had, you know, really thought through this idea of, well, what kind of future could humans have that was... It better balanced in more greater harmony with the great forces of nature and your home environment and Jarrodale was a great place to have all of that thinking so the love of life was in fact so easy at Jarrodale because you were totally immersed in it it was a fabulously beautiful place to live and uh, I think you know me well enough to know that I, do, I like finding beautiful places yeah. where 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 you can combine human life with uh, close interaction with nature. This was the perfect place for me to think about the opposite of the Anthropocene. And combine it with your work and with this relationship with mum and the ending of her life. Yeah, exactly. So in 2011, I came up with this idea of the opposite of the Anthropocene. I've called it the Symbiocene. And the Symbiocene means... A, a period or an era, that's where the scene comes in, uh, C-E-N-E, and the symbio is from symbiosis. So it's mm-hmm. a scientific term meaning the interdependence between living organisms that, for example, our gut microbiome keeps us alive. You know, we're actually a host to about a trillion microorganisms that regulate our blood pressure, our heart rates, our digestive tract uh, they also have uh, a profound influence on our on our moods so these this idea of symbiosis is no longer a kind of abstract scientific theoretical way of looking at the world it turns out that evolution by symbiosis is critical for life and if you break it break symbiotic relationships you not only destroy whole ecosystems like you know for example the Great Barrier Reef is a massive symbiotic organism. All the creatures that live in the reef are interacting with each other, so the coral and the algae. All separate but one at the same. Yeah, So, and you can't take out one component mm-hmm. without destroying the, the, the whole. And so that idea of symbiosis, uh, I think, has been with humans right from the very beginning. 
only in the last few hundred years of industrial society that we've started tearing it apart. And a lot of it's been done in ignorance. We just didn't know how the world worked, how life is interconnected so intimately. I think Indigenous people have always had the intuition that that's the way life worked. And finally, we've got a science that says, well, God, you dudes were right. (laughs) Everything is interconnected. (laughs) And And once you know, you can't unknow. That's right. And, uh, and, And what we also sadly learnt is that if you start unraveling it to a certain degree, you can't put it back together again. It's like the old story about the eggs and the omelette. You know, mm. you you can't remake an egg from an omelette. Mm. So that that was a profound moment for me. I was still looking after mum uh, in 2011. I was teaching at Murdoch University, running my research program and talking to other colleagues at different universities around. Uh, Perth, because uh, you know, from Perth, I I wanted to reconnect, in many ways, uh, as an adult with the place that I grew up in, and so the symbiocene as a as an idea had its genesis then, and what I've done with my life since then is try and develop that idea, uh, in layers, uh, so such that, it would have more success than the idea of solastalgia. I want solastalgia to be out of our dictionaries by the year you know 2050 you know it's like you create a concept and you want it to disappear because the whole point of it is to highlight something that we don't want it was a feeling we once had well and as the symbiocene is created by humans we no longer have the conditions that cause mass solastalgia mass misery mass depression Mm. and so I've been working on that idea and I've done it pretty much in isolation from the university sector because when my mum died in 2013 I decided that the university as an entity was probably not the right place for me any longer. I'm a free thinker, a bit of an anarchist. That doesn't mean that I throw bombs or I'm violent. It means that I I believe in order without a ruler. That's what the word anarchy means. An means without, archi means ruler. Uh-huh. So... Anarchy means order without a, a boss. So but, a chancellor isn't for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. And uh, I didn't get on very well with the chancellor, vice-chancellor at that time. So I decided uh, when they wanted to up my workload and especially make me do more administration and a whole lot of things that I, just weren't me, I said, no, I'm, I'm actually going to do 100% research. And they said, no, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. And I said, well, actually, I can. Here's my, my retirement notice. And so I retired. Want to keep the conversation going and connect with like-minded, positive people changing our world for the better? Be inspired by fellow changemakers and join our closed Facebook community to keep the conversation going. Search Love Your Life, Tell Your Story now. So just to recap, Mum's passed away. Yeah. And and the research that it was offered to you wasn't what you wanted to do. No, I I did my own research, but the conditions of employment. Conditions of employment. As a a professor, they wanted me to do more and more bureaucratic admin work because no one else, they couldn't afford it to have other people do it. But, of course, it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do the research that I wanted to do. And so there was a... So explain to us how could you do that without a university um, Uh, entity? Well, what you do is you hand in your your retirement notice, you buy a property with your wife at Duns Creek in New South Wales, Australia, 
and you pack up and move. Okay. And so I, I, I told you the story of uh, the original pack up and move from yes. from Perth so to, to New Zealand. So your wife was waiting here. Yeah. Obviously, she was busy. She's a, I know, oh, yeah, I know her, she, and she's a very busy woman with she, her own goals and her own yeah, aspirations. She, she, she's a pro- professional uh, <laughs> yes. administrator in TAFE New South Wales right. at, a, at a very high level. So, And, and a grandmother, because we, yeah. we, we have... Uh, 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 grandchildren in Newcastle and they, they were always here while I was away. In fact uh, my stepdaughter Sarah jokes often that, uh, oh, you really have been away for five years? Yeah. I thought you just went went to Bunnings to get something. <laughs> so so you, uh, your, your experience and your work and your loving your life over there was completed. Yes, I think I had done what I could do with my mum. I'd I tried my best at Murdoch University to fit into a, a place that literally was uh, going broke, and uh, you know, uh, the administration were were corrupt in many senses of the word. So uh, I wanted out of there, and the idea of living a rural life occurred to me while I was in Jarradale, and it also has echoes of my grandparents' farm okay. in Manjimup. So. I wanted a place where I could think and write uh, and also be uh, directly engaged with the earth, you know. Uh, so I called myself a farmosopher now. So far, hey. a combination of farming in a non-technical sense and philosophy. And so we've been at uh, Wallaby Farm at Duns Creek near the village of Patterson, not far from Maitland, uh, for the last no, almost 10 years. And there I was able to really focus on this this uh, tension in my work between the forces that support life and the forces that destroy them. But I needed a really life-affirming environment around me in which to do that. And, of course, Wallaby Farm is full of wallabies. Uh, it's full, Eastern. <laughs> redneck wallabies. Redneck. <laughs> The wall- we were thinking of calling the property Redneck and then decided against it for the obvious reason. <laughs> but, yeah, we, so we call it Wallaby Farm. We, we have no eastern grey kangaroos on the property because wallabies and kangaroos don't get on. Uh-huh. They, they, they have... uh, thanks for educating us on the, <laughs> where, the, where wallabies and kangaroos, um, where, they, where the names of them, so not to be confused. Yeah, well, I mean, the Awabakal people have stories about the the relationships between wallabies and kangaroos, and it's related to the fact that Newcastle occasionally has earthquakes. Uh-huh. So there was a transgression between the wallabies and the kangaroos. I think a, a wallaby did something, um, a, a kangaroo did something really bad with respect to the relationship uh, the wallabies chased it to Nobby's, the the rock at the mouth of the yeah. the harbour, and it disappeared down a cave inside Nobby's, and it sits there. And if it thinks the uh, the wallabies are coming to get it, it starts trembling, and that that trembling is the cause of the earthquakes in Newca- in Newcastle. Okay. So, so <laughs> the story between wallabies and and kangaroos is an important one to know. It could save your life in the future. Yes. We need to look after nobbies and not uh, do too many nasty things to it, right. uh, particularly things noisy things like fast cars and uh, sc- <laughs> you know. So there's a bit of politics there as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so there. Uh, that, so, so that that's how I get to Duns back, Creek. Back and to I, Duns Creek, and so so loving your life, 
and and spending that five years was absolutely beautiful and really important to the environment as well because you also got to do you did do research over there and you did mm. find your words and you did then complete that journey back again to here and that's that's where i wrote the book earth emotions and so that book has now been out since 2019 Which i have a copy here and um it is a beautiful book and i've certainly educated myself through it and it's just i i absolutely adored it so the words I wrote, I wrote all the words out last week and I can't even pronounce them, I have to say, Glenn. So I think um, I, I wrote them all out and I wrote all the meanings out and I have to keep writing them out and rereading them and rereading the meanings. Well, well don't stress about that. The, the, <laughs> this, this book is now being produced as an audio book. I think and I'm that's working, the way to go. And I'm working with the reader who's a man in the United States somewhere and he keeps sending me exactly the same messages that you just said how do I pronounce this how do you pronounce the uh, words uh, and a lot of them have never been uttered in public you can read them yes. because the book is there but unless I give a talk in public nobody's going to quite know exactly how to say it but but I ha I've had that problem with solastalgia as well yes you but people had trouble with the word television when it was first created what? they just couldn't handle the idea that you could put telly and vision together and make a new word and yet now it's obviously in the vocabulary yeah. so the word that i like the best mm -hmm. and i want you to repeat it out loud for all of us and say it again is the word for the for you as the little boy walking through the urban area of the commission homes but finding your flow yeah, well, that's um, uh, the UT area moment. The UT area. Yeah. So that's the one I like the best. Mm. And mm. so I wrote that down mm. and I so wanted to repeat it in mm. my mind, but mm. I couldn't get it there. Well, UT area, U, it means good. Yes. Tierra is of the earth. Yes. And IA at the end of a word means a uh, an example of uh, a series of uh, of objects or concepts you know so ia on the end just means that you're one of a set so ut area ut area i wanted to call it uterra uh uteria with mm -hmm. a terror just t-e-r-r-a but when you create a word you nowadays use google to check to see whether someone else is using it mm -hmm. so i put in uh uteria and it turned out to be the website of a black African uh, African American porn queen. Oh. So I I quickly <laughs> shut down that page and thought, well, already the, used, already used the uh, the Spanish for the Earth is Tierra. Yeah. And I actually quite like the idea that I can spread the words that I create over multiple for, forms of uh, of our language, including uh, you know the I mean. The Latin American world uses predominantly Spanish, so it would be remiss of me to only use Greek and Latin, but the the Spanish is mainly Greek and Latin anyway, so it's just a matter of uh, spelling and pronunciation. So that's where Uteria comes from, and it it occurred to me that uh, like solastalgia, but it's opposite. How do we? talk about these wonderful experiences that we have in the world and there's no language to describe them in English I'm not suggesting for a moment that there aren't other cultures that have got similar meanings in their language yes of course but given the dominance of the English language mm. in this 21st century and the fact that I 
uh, I was born and bred in Manning, working class boy. Mm. English is my only language. I did l try and learn French in uh, in uh, high school. However, I did very badly at French. I don't think I was a very good student uh, at that time. And so uh, I, I can remember how to say things like the ruler is on the table, but that's about the limit of it. <laughs> so the, the, the idea that we don't have uh, in English adequate words to describe the very positive relationships that we can have with nature is almost an indication of how lost and alienated we've become from our own yeah. support environment, from nature. So the fact that our language has not evolved to keep pace with the loss of the things that we took for granted when, say, I was a kid growing up or older generations now look at places like Newcastle and shake their head and say, it's not just, oh, the place is not the same as it used to be. You know, it's, it's more than that. There are actually a huge number of things that were important, like the, uh, the beachfront and the, uh, the urban forests that are constantly being eroded or just the sheer ugliness of places that don't have trees because you know a lot of Novocastrians seem to hate trees particularly those that work in local government so that that's the, the you know the the idea that we are seeing negative change can only exist as we said earlier because we have deep within us these very positive earth emotions as i call them uh, and they stay with us. It's what actually gives us the the ability to to say, well, no, I actually object to that. That's not. It's going to make my life and and the life of many people in my community or my or my suburb or my city. It's it's going to diminish us. It's going to take things away that we actually value. And we're just beginning to see a change in that focus and the way development's being. Uh, assessed in the Land and Environment Court or the the issue of excess truck movements during developments. We've just had planning and assessment commission decision to stop a quarry in my local area because the impact would be too great on the amenity of people. Well, in the past, we've done our impact assessment and it's been really to only assess the impact on water quality or air quality or uh, you know, the, some very minor heritage considerations and almost zero considerations of Aboriginal heritage. But now, all of a sudden, we're seeing a really intense focus on what it is that people value about living in their environment. What do they love about their home and their home environment? And they're beginning to use my work, not solely my work, but quite a bit of it, mm. to change the way that law uh, is It's opening up to really thinking hard about, well, what's the impact on humans of this development? What's the emotional impact? The psychoterratic is now in the, the language of the Land and Environment Court of New South Wales. So there are now judges and, and, and assessments being made on these positive, uh, beautiful, loving relationships that people have to their place. Understanding the impact. Mm, and, not, and not agreeing that the price of progress can involve the removal of those things that people find so valuable about where they live. Uh, so in the past, we would have said, well, you know, too bad, quarry's going to be worth X million dollars and money's more important than, than human mm. mental health. Well, sorry, we've, we've now really got to the point where human mental health, particularly this, what I call the psychoterratic, these earth psyche relationships, 
are seen as important. And it's not just happening in Australia. There was recently a, a gypsum mine in Ireland was being required by the law in Ireland to do uh, an impact assessment that included solastalgia. They had to actually say something about how the mine's going to affect the mental health of people. This is the mine that was causing massive cracks to develop in the earth that were so big they'd go straight through the front door of a house and come out the the back door and go straight across paddocks and things like that. So I think that, to me, indicates that I was onto something important by focusing on these positive relationships. And making the decision to go to Perth to focus on what you needed to focus on for that five years. Yeah, I mean, also, there is some honour, if you like, and, and pride in becoming a professor, you know, that that's considered to be the peak of someone's academic career. Yeah. So being offered the job at Murdoch was a great honour and being in the area of sustainability, again, another honour to, to hold a position where there are very few professorial positions available to people who are transdisciplinary thinkers who want so, sustainability. So we might wind it up here for this week because yep. I can't wait for story number four and what's happened after you return to New South Wales to find out what the next era of Glenn Albrecht's loving his life is. Yeah, well. To find out what happened after you came back from anarchy. (laughs) I'm still in it. (laughs) Okay, well, that will be very interesting for us to find out that you didn't leave anarchy. No, I'm still here, and the fact that I've just turned 70 means that I'm actually actively thinking about what do I do next. Yes, well, I'm looking forward to hearing that. So uh, I'm sure everybody is, so we're all waiting to find out. So it's just been fascinating, Glenn, so thank you very much. Again, my pleasure. It's, It's lovely talking to you. It's lovely talking to you too. This is only part of our story. To hear the rest, leap forward to the next podcast and give us five stars wherever you listen. Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott.